0: Hi, this is Design Lota, the podcast
1: about life as Indian designers. I'm Sushi. And I'm Angie. We are back with part two of our chat with Manognya Yeluri. We'll be talking about how
0: creatives can better navigate the world around them and also perspectives from the other side of the table. You certainly seem quite ahead of your time and I think when most young creatives see lawyers, they they find them quite unapproachable. And artistic license, on the other hand, uh, you're on Instagram and uh, Mm -hmm. no one ever thinks of a lawyer being on Instagram. And your posts are not just informative, but they're also filled with empathy. So like even Aww. in my conversation with you, I could just see that you, you've really put yourself in the shoes of artists and designers. So was it a deliberate choice to be the friendly neighborhood lawyer for all artists and
2: designers? <laughs> I absolutely love that title. I think I'm going to put that on on my business cards. Um forget all the forget everything else. This is what I'm gonna put now. So yes, yeah. I will give you 50% royalties on that because of uh, what I So yes, there we go. Playing it fair. Um, but no, I I mean thank you so much, honestly, because it really does mean a lot to me to hear that a lot of what I put out there, the fact that it resonates with so many people and it it does so at a very different level is yeah very heartwarming. It really is. And I think it is a very deliberate choice in the sense that it is also the kind of person that I am, you know, I mean, I am a very creative first law person. I also really respect creators and the creative process a lot. I don't think it's an easy thing to be able to put yourself out there, whether it's your imagination, basically out there, and then sort of be able to present it to the world, I think it takes a lot of courage. So I'm always in awe of people who have taken up some kind of creative discipline as their livelihood, as their form of expression. I, I think it's beautiful. As for empathy, I think I was also very, very intentional in the sense that there's a reason why I call artistic license a consultancy and not a law firm or a law practice. You know, right. I didn't ever want it to be synonymous with a traditional with our traditional idea of what a law firm is you know which is all the glass doors and uh, you know everybody wearing pass suits and I mean you know I love a good suit I'm not going to say that I don't Um, and that whole formidable you know oh I've lawyered up I'm now with the shark I mean it doesn't have to be that intense in my opinion Um, yeah (laughs) it's very important that everybody who works with each other kind of understands what they're getting into because this is some sensitive stuff. You're not just coming to a lawyer for the heck of it. You probably have something really serious to discuss with them. So, the last thing you want to do is to is to be stressed out by how they talk and how they make you feel and yeah, make these like very strange assumptions of how much they might cost you. And It is a very deliberate choice. I am very mindful of the kind of clients that I work with. I very much have consciously taken the decision to work out of home offices because I want to keep those costs low so that they don't translate to my clients. Hmm. So it's all quite deliberate. But at the same time, it isn't because I am very much what you see is what you get. I'm a big fangirl. So this is kind of the way I operate.
0: Even the small post that you put up uh, about, you know, even if it's just a small quote, or there's like an element of inspiration as well as an element of, you know, do this if you want to do well, kind of thing.
2: Oh, thank so you. Yeah. <laughs> it's
0: both useful and energizing
2: at the same time. I'm so happy to hear that. They, you know, they all come out of my head. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. And we also love that
0: you're talking about the unspoken crappy things in the creative industry mm-hmm. using good typography oh. one of the things that you mentioned was about guest lists and freebies so uh, can you elaborate on this mm.
2: so i think that there are a lot of people out there who talk a good game about supporting small businesses and mm. um, you know their friends who happen to be designers or musicians or actors and you know basically anyone who's in that Creative space. At the same time, something that I think people need to understand is that support isn't. Support can take many forms. Mm -hmm. There's no doubt about that. So sometimes, uh, a powerful way to support a creative person or a creative profession is to show up. Yeah. But I don't think that that's the norm. You know, I don't think that should be considered the norm. uh, In the sense that, at the same time, you can't always encourage a culture where you are expected to get a discount or expected to get things for free because there's a lot of hard work and investment that goes into producing the thing that you're putting out there and um, I definitely try and pay my way into most gigs that I go to Mm -hmm. I don't like to be on the guest list but I am grateful whenever I'm put on one. Um, but I'll be honest, it doesn't happen that often. And and I'm okay with that. That's the thing. This isn't a situation of sour If I want to honestly be a part of the creative economy, that means that I have to contribute to the creative economy. And then one way or the other, that money will help. Yeah, exactly. Because that's how you're supposed to do it. And there is a very, very crappy sense of entitlement that some people have. You know, I have to share this uh, because it really annoys me. So I definitely, sure. I definitely <laughs> want to bring it up over here. Yeah. Um, so, a couple of years back, there was this flea market of some kind. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. Obviously, I mean, your urban chic flea market. And I remember going there along with a couple of friends, one of whom was this really talented musician and visual artist. Hmm. He had a lot of theories about a lot of different things. So not somebody who was ever short of opinions. But I think one thing that, you know, would constantly sort of go back and forth on was the fact that when you are a creative professional, it's difficult to make a livelihood because people don't necessarily understand how to attach value to the thing that you're putting out there. Yeah. Now, on this particular day, I remember there was this photographer who was giving away prints of his work, basically, you know, like big, like really well done prints. They were beautiful. And the thing is, he wasn't giving them away as such. It was a what you like model. Okay. And a lot of different people sort of picked up different pieces and, you know, they paid different amounts. And what kind of annoyed me. And I don't know, you should actually tell me sure. if, I'm, if I'm right in feeling annoyed about this or not, is that my friend, This mm-hmm. um, particular person, this is not my friend anymore, <laughs> not necessarily because of this, but there were several other issues. Mm-hmm. But um, this individual basically picked up, I think, about four or five prints mm-hmm. and put down 50 rupees. And I was just very confused by it because as much as I knew it was pay what you like, I felt like as a creative person, would you be comfortable with something like this? I don't know. Mm. I just thought to myself that it was rather hypocritical at the end of the Mm. day, you know. I don't know how you feel about this. I personally would never be brave enough to
0: say pay what you like. But also I think it comes across to some people as them not being confident enough them just trying their luck Mm -hmm. so then they don't deserve to be paid that much or whatever so i I personally feel that either you must invest in whatever and then give it away for free or you should have like some conditional Mm -hmm. approach to it but when you say pay what you like you're sort of Mm -hmm. giving people an option to undervalue your work that's just my personal opinion
2: I think that's a very interesting perspective because I think one issue that we face in the creative industries is that it's very difficult for us to express quantitatively what a number would be to the kind of work. And it's super funny because I actually came across something, I think a couple of weeks back called passion exploitation. Have you ever heard of it? Basically, it's this theory that... uh, If you are somebody who is passionate about a particular job and that's why you're doing it, it sort of feels like a justification to be paid less for it. Yeah. So you as a person who is the passionate Mm -hmm. designer, somehow you are justifying to yourself that you are being paid less because this is your passion and you're following your passion. And the person who's paying you, either your client or your boss is also justified in doing that because they somehow feel Mm -hmm. comfortable because they're like oh okay I mean anyway this person is doing what they want anyway they just draw all day yeah exactly and they, anyway I mean what a fun life yeah like you're just doing your hobby the whole day no I used to get that too you know I remember things like oh it must be so much fun yeah like you get to go to to concerts mm-hmm. and exhibitions all the time it's like uh, no <laughs> that's literally not what I do but yeah maybe I should add that to the unspoken crappy thing
0: it may not be that extreme but also like when you're taking up a new project as an artist or a designer then you're like desperate for some projects because they seem so exciting that you're like willing to really be undercut and get paid very less just so that you can work on that and now you even see these companies putting out these things that they're calling fellowships where you pay them to go to their company and then uh, solve their problems for them. Yeah. I mean,
2: what even is That's that? That's definitely
0: passion exploitation.
2: That's all kinds of yeah. exploitation. Passion's like a small slice of it. But for sure, I mean, I feel like especially if you are sort of taking on board an unpaid intern, right? Which which still happens even in the law field. Um, I think that it's okay to the point to which your intern is give, being given the opportunity to learn and they're not actually being given tasks for the company you know and i agree with you these fellowship things are popping up everywhere and it's very 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 uh, somebody is really packaged them nicely
0: yeah because i've seen so many people fall for them
2: yeah yeah for sure for sure yeah I think that's the other issue when it comes to, and which is one of the reasons why I really love your podcast, um, <laughs> because it it sort of ties community together. It, the, you know, there's an understanding that you're not in it on your own, mm-hmm. um, and that's the thing. A lot of the times, people feel like just because they choose to be independent, they have to be isolated, and they really don't. Yeah. So, yeah, and and I think I think that that's very important because. Uh, people on the outside in um, corporates and clients they do take advantage of the fact that not enough creators are talking to each other they don't Mm -hmm. know what the standard rate is they don't know what the standard terms are so
0: yeah yeah and there's also this unspoken competition uh, oh yeah, for sure. And yeah, there are also like platforms like Freelancer.com and a few local platforms where designers put in hours of work, competing with other designers from around the world, mm-hmm. and the client gets their pick. And maybe it's great quality work, maybe it's bad quality work. But what are the odds that a design gets selected and the designer gets paid for it? So yeah, what really. do you think about that kind of setup?
2: Maybe it's a good place. To start off, especially sort of thinking back on the conversation about the pay what you like Mm -hmm. model, it is possible to consider that if somebody doesn't feel confident enough about their work, this is one way to gain some kind of validation. But the larger question is at what cost, you know, and it's not even about the fact that you may or may not get paid. I think the bigger issue here is that you are sort of contributing to creating a very imbalanced bargaining dynamic between your side which is basically the creator side the designer side and then a client or you know a corporate basically on the other side or even another small business for that matter.
0: Yeah like for example nobody challenges 50 lawyers to create a contract and then the guy gets to pick the best contract.
2: I just had a very very interesting visual image of what that might (laughs) look like. (laughs) But, um, but yeah, no, I think there is a certain level of of feditiveness and bidding. And a lot of it comes from this scarcity mindset that we're all encouraged to have. Mm -hmm. But um, I really do think that there comes a point where you have to start understanding that your growth is very, very connected to the growth of your industry as well. So if the entire industry Is doing better, you will do better also because you are a part of that industry. Right. And that's kind of the foundation of things like collective bargaining and unionization. And that's honestly where all of this comes from. So I definitely think that there's a mindset shift that needs to happen when it comes to this, because it's just not good business at the end of the day. Yeah. If you had a justification for it, like say you wanted to make something accessible or you wanted to cater to a particular demographic Mm -hmm. that doesn't necessarily have access to what you do, I mean, whatever your reasons are, right? If you can justify those reasons, then that's fair. But if your reason is basically going to be, I just wanted to get the gig, no matter what happens, then you're not going to be building a sustainable career more than anything else. So.
0: Right. There's a stereotype that creatives are often in their own bubble and don't engage with the world enough. But with the current political climate in India, we see a lot of artists and designers come out and protest with some of their most creative work can you share your perspective as a non-artistic professional who's very much in the artistic scene?
2: So I guess when you had asked me earlier, if I have any artistic inclinations, one thing that I do enjoy is I do enjoy writing. And when I say I do enjoy writing, I don't mean that in a very flamboyant, uh, even sometimes not in a particularly grammatically correct manner either. But i um, I like to communicate using words. I find that very comforting. I write this newsletter called The Creative Spark, where I basically like to talk about, you know, the creative economy and creative community. And I think it's my way of sort of, you know, when you're a lawyer, you're expected to have very fixed perspectives on things. But I think because I, like I said previously, I am very, very fascinated by the way in which people Mm -hmm. create and creativity sort of reflects on, different kinds of aspects of life. I do have a lot of thoughts and resources, and I'm a fangirl at the end of the day, so I have to put all these things somewhere. So I actually do write this newsletter, and um, very recently, one of the letters that I wrote actually started off with this quote by um, this artist and educator, Tony Cade Bambara, and the quote basically is that the role of the artist is to make the revolution irresistible. Yeah, it's so powerful. And I love it, because I think it really hit home for me, because I think that that's, that's the importance of art. That's the power of art, the fact that it allows you to express the fact that it allows you to communicate. And it is an incredible superpower to be able to communicate with people in a way and through mediums that are both meaningful and soul-stirring. So from that perspective, I think it's wonderful that so many creators, so many illustrators, so many musicians in the country have, have really decided to express their socioeconomic, their social-political views, because it is part of art. And not just art, I think the fact that we can express ourselves, it's a part of the freedom of speech and expression. The mm-hmm. idea is to challenge systems and the status quo, but also to do that at a pace and in a medium that we're comfortable in. So, yeah, I think it's I think it's a wonderful thing. I definitely do. Yeah.
0: But also, where do you think artists and designers should draw the line in purely legal terms? How much can you express before it stops being art
2: legally? Right. Right. Absolutely. I think that's a very tricky question (laughs) in the sense that... um, Drawing lines and drawing boundaries. It's a very difficult thing for most of us to do. It's also difficult when you look at it from, I think, a legal perspective. And the funny thing is, in scenarios like this, you can't just transplant what the law says directly onto this situation, because the idea is that you are probably communicating things to challenge the status quo yeah. and the law does allow you to do that i mean you have the freedom of speech and expression so that you can create some kind of commentary on society so that you can you know make parodies and satirical statements about uh, people and Public institutions, so to say, yeah. but I think a lot of it also has to be understood conditionally. So, an interesting thing is even the freedom of speech and expression also has something called reasonable restrictions. Okay. Um, yeah, it's it's a part of our constitution as well. Yeah, and the idea there is that you can choose. I mean, I'm definitely simplifying this, but mm-hmm. the idea is that you can choose to express yourself freely, uh, so long as it doesn't incite any kind of panic or any kind of violence and basically doesn't harm the greater good. So these are already really vague variables to be working with. I think even though you did ask me um, to sort of define legal boundaries, I think maybe One way to also think about this is in the fight for justice and in the fight for what's right. Mm. While it's very, very important to stand your ground, I think it's also very important to do so um, with kindness. Um, I remember a couple of years back, actually, I I have this saying which um, kind of goes along the lines of how honesty without kindness is basically cruelty. And it's pretty much the same thing. It's a question of how you want to set those boundaries. Again, sort of going back into the law frame, I feel like if you are sort of making um, a statement about somebody and you are in some sense criticizing them, Mm-hmm. then you run the risk of things like defamation until and unless it's true. You could run the risk of compromising someone's privacy. True. And honestly, those are questions that you also need to ask yourself as an individual, mm-hmm. as a citizen, as a human being. Like is this something that's, you know, are you okay with intruding in on someone's privacy mm-hmm. for the greater good? It's a it's a mess. <laughs>
0: <laughs> and coming back to current events in our country mm-hmm. uh, a lot of events have been cancelled due to the covid-19 situation that is currently happening and all of us are working from home but that has also resulted in a lot of losses for everyone in the design and art field as well from actual designers who create material for events to designers who invested in in buying material to actual performing artists not to mention all the photographers and gig workers mm-hmm. Do artists and designers have any rights in such situations? Um, So are contracts voided?
2: So we're definitely in a situation that it's a delicate situation to say the least. Um, I think that the kind of the losses that we are facing and will probably face in the months to come, and specifically the economic losses of this, they are definitely going to get the better of us. um, So we might as well brace for impact. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, I think that this is also a wake up call to a lot of people in the creative economy to understand why they need to have contracts in place and b why they should be reading those contracts before they sign them because um, unfortunately, there's language and clauses in a lot of these contracts that if they had been tweaked earlier, could have definitely salvaged things in a situation like this. So a situation like this is typically one that uh, nobody has any control over. Uh, Typically, when you're looking to like to, to cancel an engagement or to terminate an agreement, you are given the choice to do so. You can also attribute that cause to one party, you know, so it's either a, it's a client-derived cancellation or it's an artist-derived cancellation or it's a promoter-derived cancellation, whatever the case might be, you know, and then there are sort of procedures following that in the contract itself. But in a scenario like this, nobody can be blamed because this is something that's completely out of everyone's control. Mm -hmm. And this is kind of what goes into something called a force majeure clause, which is very colloquially referred to as an acts of God kind of clause. That clause essentially is supposed to say that if due to some kind of unforeseeable event, like, say, an earthquake or a flood or an epidemic, or even sometimes political unrest, if because of that event, the parties to a contract are unable to carry out the obligations under that contract, then they can choose to reschedule the event. So they can choose to postpone the completion of the contract. And in spite of rescheduling, if it's impossible, it's practically impossible to, to finish the contract, so to say, Right, mm-hmm. then the contract will be terminated. Okay. So at least in this scenario, nobody has to pay the other person any damages or any penalties. But unfortunately, at this point, what you've lost is what you've lost. So if you're somebody who invested money in materials, you don't have anybody to go back to and ask uh, for that money. But the good news at least is that you don't necessarily owe the other side anything else. And incidentally this is just a very general understanding of how this clause works it ultimately depends on how what it looks like in your contract because if your contract didn't even have a force majeure clause then you're kind of at the mercy of your contract so it's a it's a pretty tough time at this point yeah yeah
0: and have there been instances where you were on the other side of things where you had to protect a client or a corporation from a creative i think that's a story we'd all love to hear <laughs>
2: Um, So I do see this happening uh, from time to time, but I'm generally a a creative person, so I don't end up representing a lot of the corporations. I'm usually the person who is basically making it very unpleasant for (laughs) the corporation of the client, which I love. Absolutely. I think, unfortunately, I've come across some interesting situations where a lot of creators have also tried to outwit other creators, So a lot of artists. Have uh, not been very uh, professional with uh, other artists. I've seen a lot of things from, like, a client of mine who is a very well known musician and composer. And he was basically supposed to be collaborating and co writing a piece of work. And then he was later sort of unceremoniously left out of those um, shares and conversations. So that was a huge Mm. mess. I remember from quite a few years ago, a jewelry designer, actually, who had gone ahead and somehow procured a copyright over traditional designs. And then, um, and it was very interesting, because these designs came from a community. And she would employ members from that community, but she wouldn't necessarily give any proceeds back to them, it would just be whatever she was sort of paying them Mm -hmm. for the work. And she would uh, sort of send out a lot of infringement notices um, to other portals and platforms and companies and designers who she believed were uh, you know infringing her designs it was very it was very very messed and up many
0: of these designs are like decades or even centuries old right
2: absolutely they're community-based I mean it's intangible heritage you know it's Nobody owns them. It's the entire community that owns them, you know. So trying to wrap my head around this and then trying to explain this Mm -hmm. to this person was very difficult. I withdraw from situations like this because after a point, I feel like if it's not aligned with my ethics, and it's not to say that, um, you know, because that's one of the things about being a lawyer, you do owe your loyalties to the side that's engaged you. Mm -hmm. Um, But having said that, you know, I've had moments like this where I've just been thoroughly frustrated. So I just don't want to try having the conversation anymore. So I sort of I do a very exit stage left kind of thing and I just leave as quickly as I can. But yeah, and I think a more recent one, again, where I sort of had to pull myself out of this equation and it's very unfortunate, actually, was A filmmaker, actually, who had shot an entire documentary about um, a particular person and their life, utilized all this person's resources, everything, and then decided to try and put the film out without any permissions, any releases, nothing signed, even from the subject of the Mm -hmm. film, which I was just flabbergasted with you know and lying and you know messing things up and and see that's the other thing it's not such a big community we all find out about each other one way or the other you know so yeah. it's a question of just maybe okay maybe it's not this week but chances are we'll find out what the story is in six months you know if not less
0: yeah
2: you know and different versions of the story totally absolutely absolutely and all versions of it thank goodness but yeah sometimes it's it's very um uh, confusing yeah to say the least
0: and don't know if there are any other lawyers listening to this episode but what advice do you have for professionals from other industries engineers doctors teachers hotel managers who wish to work with designers oh that's that's a huge ask.
2: Um, at your own risk absolutely absolutely completely of course (laughs) I think it all sort of comes down to clarity so if you choose to work with a designer, then I think it's very important to be sure as to why you want to work with a designer. So do a certain amount of homework, maybe find out what kind of work that designer has done before, because I'm sure you face this as well, right? Like people just sort of like come up to you blank. It's like, oh, OK, so you're the person who's going to help me do the thing. Right. And honestly, it's just it's such an awkward, uncomfortable, unprofessional <laughs> way to do things. So it's a, it's a very strange space to be in because you don't know how to educate the person and say, listen, you need to go back and do a little bit of research. I mean, I, I like that there are a lot of people who do that now. But at the same time, I think that's it's the case for any service, anyone who's sort of looking to commission yeah. uh, work, right? Like, honestly, I think it also comes down to respect because you know, I, again, I'm sure you hear this a lot. There are a lot of people out there who say things like, oh, but I could have just done this on Canva. Then go do it on Canva. Yeah. You know, like There's no need for you to go and bring in a very different brief and hire somebody because it's a completely different thing to actually hire somebody, you know, and hire a designer specifically. So, yeah. So clarity and respect. <laughs> so we
0: love your Instagram page and we find your blog really useful. And Thank you. I really want to get my hands on your newsletter as well. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but what are some other resources that you recommend for designers and creative professionals?
2: Mm, it's a bit of a growing list, I guess. But off the top of my head, mm-hmm. I can, um, there's this digital magazine it's called Creative Boom. Have you have you yeah, heard yeah. of them? Yeah, I, I think they're very, very popular with the design community. As I said, I'm I'm too hippie to be a lawyer and I'm too loyally to be an artist. So, you know, in that limbo that I sort of exist in, I stumbled on Creative Boom and I love Creative Boom. I think beautiful resources there. I also really like Mira Malhotra's Instagram and Twitter feeds as well. I think she's the founder of Studio Cole. I think that's what... Um, Mm. Yeah. So I absolutely love any information that she sort of puts out because she's so unforgiving of, you know, lapses, which I think is sometimes necessary. She's very unapologetic, which I really admire. And uh, yeah, and she's extremely organized when she puts stuff out. It's it's fabulous the way she sort of chronologically puts things together and stuff. So I think she's somebody who one can learn a lot from. Mm. I think in light of the coronavirus outbreak and, and all the ramifications of that, I came across this uh, website thanks to a friend of mine uh, called uh, COVID-19 Freelance Artist Resource. And um, it's primarily geared towards people who work in and with the USA and Canada, but it's got a lot of interesting resources in there. Everything from, you know, how to uh, handle those cancellation conversations, okay. um, you know, Yeah, a lot of financial help resources. Um, If you're a musician, I think you should definitely listen to Made in India, which it's M-A-E-D in India. Mm -hmm. It's a beautiful podcast about the independent music scene in India. And May May and her team do a fantastic job of highlighting independent music in the country. Yeah, I think uh, last of all, there is another project that um, I've had the good fortune of co-founding and running uh, with uh, my two co-founders Aisha Kapadia and Bihir Joshi and it's called Contracts for Creators and it's basically a online tool where we provide creators of all kinds uh, free contract templates that you can go ahead download and customize so yeah
0: that's how I actually came to know about Artistic License oh my goodness that's great I'm not surprised I'm so glad to hear that I really like I I find it very useful and
2: that's
0: awesome. I was like, we have to interview these guys. We have to get a testimonial from you. So how do creatives who need your services get in touch with you? The friendly neighborhood lawyer.
2: <laughs> the best way to, to get in touch with me with your queries and concerns would be dropping in an email to mail us at artisticlicense.org. You can also find this email ID and a lot of other information also on the website, which is www.artisticlicense.org. It's artistic with a K, though. <laughs> so there's that. We are on Instagram, and I myself am also pretty active on Instagram. So yeah, and you can always find Artistic License um, or me myself, Manojna Yelluri, um, on yes. Instagram.
0: So thank you so much, Manojna, for doing this with us and for sharing this wealth of information. And uh, it's it's great to know that we have the law on our side.
1: It's so cool to see how Manoghnya uses these unexpected methods to reach out to creatives as a lawyer. Uh, I did look up her Instagram and she really makes these otherwise complex things so much more accessible. Isn't it so refreshing to know that somebody from the other side understands the value of creative work and is rooting for us? Totally. About that, it was interesting to hear your perspective on that whole pay-as-you-like approach. Really? Now, I want to hear what you have to say about it. Um, I was thinking about platforms like Patreon, which help structure this whole thing, where the creator can say to their supporters, look, you already like my work and you want me to exist in your world as an artist. And I can clue you in on how you can actually support me and give you a token of gratitude in return. It could be access to some resources, some merchandise, or maybe even a consultation. That sounds good, actually. It gives structure to both parties on how best to support each other,
0: as opposed to the pay what you like, where they want to help each other but don't know how.
1: Yeah. The other aspect that I think is so important is support and community. Uh, I love that line. Uh, Just because you're independent doesn't mean you have to be isolated.
0: I think that line really spoke to me as well. Uh, It's really
1: helped me rethink how I approach other creatives whose work I admire. Hey listeners, what is the one surprising thing you learned from this episode? DM us on Instagram and tell us about it. You can find the complete transcript and references for this episode on our blog, designlota.com. We'll be back next time with more conversations. In the meantime, do hang out with us on Instagram and Twitter. Until then, bye. bye!